Today we're starting a new series that's called Unrestrained and we're going to spend the next six weeks or so walking through the book of Colossians. We try to mix up what we do with our messages so that sometimes we unpack a specific theme for a few weeks and dig in around that and see what scripture has to say about that. At other times we want to uh, hear from different voices, so we just finished our Diverse series, which was great to hear from some other people uh, speaking into us as well. But we regularly want to come back to Scripture and just kind of read it through verse by verse and be able to unpack what it is that God is saying to us uh, as we look through that. So Colossians is one of the letters that Paul wrote. So a little bit of backstory, Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John in the Bible are the four books that are the biographies about Jesus, about his life, his teaching his death and his resurrection and so we read them to understand a lot about who Jesus is. The book of Acts is then the story of the early church emerging. All of these people who discovered who Jesus was and what Jesus had done and then formed communities around that. And one of the key figures that we read about through Acts is this guy named Paul who goes to all these different cities in Europe uh, and in Asia and in the Middle East and discovers people uh, who are interested in following Jesus, helps them make decisions to follow Jesus, and then forms communities uh, of people following Jesus together, which we call churches. Paul then writes a whole bunch of letters back to these churches and these people that he has connected with over the years. And so the majority of what's in the rest of the New Testament are these letters that are from Paul, some from some other people as well, um, but lots of them are from Paul. And so when we read the book of Romans, it's Paul writing to the church in Rome. Uh, when we see the book of Corinthians, it's Paul writing to the church in Corinth. And so Colossians is Paul writing to the church in this city called Colossae. So we have a map to show you where Colossae is. Uh, so Colossae was a really, really important city. There was a number of really important towns and cities that were on this very key trade route that went from Europe to the Middle East, so from Italy and Greece in particular, uh, over into the Middle East. And so Colossae was one of those cities that was there. And it's understood that Paul never actually went to Colossae. So he spent about three years in the city of Ephesus, which you can see is just above Colossae, just over to the side there. And so he spent about three years there. And the understanding is that there was a bunch of people from Colossae who connected with Paul while he was in Ephesus, And out of that, discovered Jesus and then went back to Colossae, planted a church there, and then came back and spent some more time with Paul and then went back and forth. And so Paul is writing to this group of people, some of whom he knew and some of whom he didn't, uh, to talk about what it meant for them to be the church together. In particular, one of the guys that we're going to hear about is this guy named Epaphras, who uh, we discover is one of Paul's friends and colleagues, and probably one of the people that Paul did connect with in Ephesus, who is a key part of planning the church in Colossae. We understand that this letter was probably written during the time when Paul was in prison in Rome, and uh, that was the same time that he wrote the letter to the Ephesians, and so there are some very common themes, which is not a surprise because it was written, as I said, at about the same time, but also because of the links between those two cities, it makes sense that there was some common stuff uh, that Paul unpacks through that. The key theme, if you want to pick a key theme that Paul talks about throughout this letter, is really challenging or asking the question whether Jesus is enough. What had happened in Colossae was that there were two streams that were starting to affect the people who were following Jesus. One group of people who were trying to take some stuff from other religions and impose that on what it means to follow Jesus. In particular, to take a bunch of Jewish laws and say, yeah, this stuff about Jesus is good, but you need to keep doing some of these things that have always been really important to Judaism. 
And then another group of people who took some stuff just from secular philosophy and secular ideas and tried to fuse that into what it means to follow Jesus as well. And so that's a really good reminder for us as we start this series, because sometimes we can fall into the trap of thinking that our culture is so hard to engage with and it's so hard for people to discover Jesus, or we see these people who are taking different bits and pieces and trying to fuse it into what it means to follow Jesus, and we can feel like that's a new thing. But since the earliest days of the church, this has been the wrestle that's been going on. Is Jesus enough or is there other stuff that we need to add in? Either things that we need to do or other philosophies that we can add in that make it make more sense. And what we'll see is Paul's answer to this throughout this letter is the answer is yes, Jesus is enough. And honestly, I thought about calling the series enough uh, or calling it uh, sufficient because that is really what Paul talks about. But I ended up calling it unrestrained because what I want us to do is focus on what it means that Jesus is enough, that Jesus is sufficient. What are the implications of that for us as we live our lives? An interesting aside before we get into the passage is that there's this little tiny book towards the end of the New Testament that's called Philemon. And so that's a one chapter book which Paul wrote to this guy whose name was Philemon. We'll call him Phil. And uh, Phil was <laughs> one of the guys who was in the Colossian church. And so we have this interesting contrast where Paul writes a letter to everyone who was a part of the Colossian church, Colossians, and then he also writes this specific letter to Philemon to talk to him specifically about some of the stuff that was going on. So Philemon and Epaphras, two of the key guys that Paul connected with a lot. So... Let's jump into the message and uh, specifically this passage that we're going to look at. So Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. From Paul, who by God's will is an apostle of Christ Jesus, and from our brother Timothy, to God's people in Colossae who are our faithful friends in union with Christ. May God our Father give you grace and peace. So... Intro statement, this is why we understand that this letter is from Paul, but it's a really good reminder to us that Paul worked a lot with this young leader in the church whose name was Timothy. They spent a lot of time together, uh, they helped plant churches together, they invested in leaders together, and so uh, this letter is actually from Paul, but he also says, Timothy's here with me, and so it's from both of us to the church in Colossae. It's also interesting that what Paul says is not the church, but God's people, in Colossae, which is really, really important because sometimes we can fall into the trap of thinking that the church is a building or a physical structure or an organisation, but a church is always a group of people. And other translations have it as Paul writing to God's holy people in Colossae or Paul writing to the saints in Colossae, which reminds us that it's not just about a group of people, but a group of people who, because they put their trust in Jesus, are now seen as saints are now seen as holy people in God's eyes, and that's who Paul is writing to. Verse 3 then, We always give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. For we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and of your love for all of God's people. And we've talked regularly about how this word faith can be understood as this word trust. So whenever we read about faith in Jesus, we're simply saying trusting in who Jesus is, trusting that he is who he said he was, trusting in what he's done for us, and trusting that following him is the best way for us to be able to live our lives. And so Paul says, we've heard about your faith, we've heard about the ways in which you're trusting Jesus and putting that into practice in your lives, particularly as that spills out into love. 
In verse 5, Paul continues, says, When the true message, the good news, first came to you, you heard about the hope that it offers. So your faith and your love are based on what you hope for, which is kept safe for you in heaven. So Paul talks about the true message or the good news, and he's going to say in the next verse the word gospel. And so this is this beautiful word that was very much in use in Paul's time. The word gospel was a word that was just used in culture all over the place, particularly when there was a massive declaration that was made. So normally this would be made by an emperor or someone who was in a position of authority saying something has changed for good and it's something that affects everybody. And so that might be that a war has finished, and so that's really, really good news, everyone. The war's finished, and uh, so we don't have to fight anymore. That's a good thing. It was also used at times by the Romans to say, we've built a new road. Isn't that exciting? It's good news for everyone. It's much easier to get from here to there now. So these gospel declarations were made all the time, and Paul in particular takes this word gospel and applies it to what it means about the good news about Jesus. Something has happened that has changed for the better, that affects absolutely everyone. And that message we articulated last year, and so if you went around, we did a series that really focused in on this. We talked about it in terms of three key terms. Uh, Pure love, set free, for good. And so we unpacked what each of those look like as one way of articulating what this gospel message is, what the good news is. That it's this pure love, that that's what God is all about, that's what God's motivation always is, that's why Jesus came. And Jesus comes to show us what a life that is dedicated to pure love looks like. That's then set free, so it's unleashed on the world, but in doing that, Jesus also sets us free to be able to live lives of pure love as well, and to not get wrapped up in ourselves and focus on selfishness, but to be able to love freely for good. That's two ways, for good in terms of for good purposes, that's why God does all of this stuff, but also for good in terms of it being something that's permanent, something that's eternal. And so that's one way of us understanding what the good news, the gospel message is, the true message that they discovered, is that God is a God of love who has sent Jesus to show us what that love looks like, to unleash that on the world, set us free to be able to live that way too so that we can have a positive impact on the world and experience that love for the rest of our lives. So Paul says that message, that good news, that gospel, is something that gives us hope. It gives us hope because it then helps us to understand who we are. It helps us to understand what life is all about. It helps us to understand what our purpose is. So that good news gives us a sense of hope. And that hope is kept safe for us in heaven, which is a really, really good thing to recognise. It's not just because of what happens here on earth and there's no chance of it being changed or altered. It's permanent, it's done, and it's kept safe in heaven where God is and where God's way of life is experienced 100% of the time. So the hope that we have about what this good news is, is kept safe for us eternally and permanently, not affected by how we feel or by what other people do. So Paul uses these three key words in this verse, which are kind of a good way of summing up what it means for us to follow Jesus. Faith, hope and love. Faith, hope, and love. It's something that Paul talks about on a regular basis. That following Jesus is about faith. It's about trusting in who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. The hope that that then gives us about who we are and about what life is going to be like for us here and in eternity, which spills out into love. Our love for God and our love for each other and the people around us. 
Paul says that's what all of this message about Jesus is all about. Verse 6 then, Paul continues on. He says the gospel, that good news that we've just talked about, keeps bringing blessings and is spreading throughout the world, just as it has among you ever since the day you first heard about the grace of God and came to know it as it really is. Other translations uh, talk about this idea of it spreading throughout the world as it bearing fruit and growing. So this beautiful picture of like a fruit orchard that is just bursting into life and then buds are starting to emerge, which are then turning into fruit as far as the eye can see. That's what Paul says is happening with this gospel, with this good news. As people discover who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, there's all this life and health that's starting to burst around, all around the world and also in the lives of the Colossians and in the life of the Colossian church. Paul then continues on by saying, talks about our good friend Epaphras in verse 7, you learned of God's grace from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is Christ's faithful worker on our behalf. He's told us of the love that the Spirit has given you. And so as I mentioned earlier, Epaphras is the one who we understand went back and forth between Colossae and Ephesus, talking with Paul and Timothy and spending time with them, understanding more about what it means to follow Jesus, and then taking that and helping people to understand it, and then going back to Paul and Timothy and saying, you're not going to believe the stuff that's happening. It's so awesome the way that we're seeing these people put this into practice, show their love for each other, show their love for other people. And so Paul says, we've heard about what an awesome job you're doing just loving the people that are around you as you follow Jesus together. In verse 9 and 10, Paul then shifts gear a little bit. He says, For this reason, we've always prayed for you, ever since we heard about you. We ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will, with all the wisdom and understanding that his spirit gives. Then you'll be able to live as the Lord wants and will always do what pleases him. Your lives will produce all kinds of good deeds and you'll grow in your knowledge of God. So this is a beautiful picture of what praying for someone else looks like. Paul really says two things here. He says, I pray that you would have greater knowledge and understanding so that you can live the way that Jesus wants you to live. Ultimately, that's my prayer, is that you would understand in greater and greater ways who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and that that would then motivate you and fuel you to do the things that he wants us to be able to do. And so as we get into this theme of being unrestrained, that's really what we're talking about. Being able to understand what God's done for us and then live in the freedom that comes out of what God has done for us. So Paul says that looks like doing what pleases God. Other translations say live a life that's worthy of the Lord or live well for the master, making him proud of you as you work hard in his orchard. So going back to that picture of it spreading all around the world. And this is a really, really important distinction because what Paul is saying is understand what God has done for you and then live a life that's worthy of what has been done for you. And often we can sometimes fall into the trap of doing that the wrong way around and think we need to live a life that's worthy of what God has done for us or we need to do what pleases God in the hope that if we do that enough, then God will accept us. Then God will love us. Then God will include us as a part of his family. Then God will do good things for us. We can get those things around the wrong way. But Paul is crystal clear that it starts with us understanding what's being done for us 
And then out of that sense of freedom, we have the privilege of being able to live the way that he wants us to be able to live. Paul takes that a bit further in verse 11, where he says, May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power, so that you may be able to endure everything with patience. And with joy, give thanks to the Father who has made you fit to have your share of what God has reserved for his people in the kingdom of light. So Paul says this intriguing set of words. May you be strengthened with all the strength that comes from his glorious power. So just stop and think about that for a moment. How powerful is God? God's the one who we believe created the whole universe, created this earth that we live on, created every single one of us, is the one who breathes life into us, and we believe that God is the one who raised Jesus from the dead and in doing so conquered death once and for all, conquered evil once and for all, conquered sin and all the stuff that we get wrong and all the mistakes that we make. That's the power of God. And so Paul says, may you be strengthened with that power, which is a staggering statement when you think about it. I pray that you would have the strength that comes from the power of the God of the universe who brings things into life, who conquers death, who conquers evil. May you be strengthened with the strength that comes from him. But what does Paul say he hopes will happen as we get that strength and that power? That it will enable us to be patient, to endure, and to have joy. Patience, being able to wait for the things that God's got for us and being able to trust that things are going to unfold in his timing. Endurance, to be able to keep going even when things are difficult. And joy, not happiness where we're just all la-di-da, but joy, this deep sense that everything is right with the world even when we're struggling. The message puts it this way. It's really beautiful. It says, we pray that you'll have the strength to stick it out in the long haul. Not the grim strength of gritting your teeth, but the glory strength that God gives. It's strength that endures the unendurable. I love that. The strength that endures the unendurable and spills over into joy. And Paul then keeps going in verse 12. He says, and with joy, give thanks to the Father who's made you fit to have your share of what God has reserved for his people in the kingdom of light. He rescued us from the power of darkness and brought us safe into the kingdom of his dear son by whom we're set free. That is, our sins are forgiven. So he packs a lot into these couple of verses. First of all, he says that we've been taken from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And so think about the difference between dark and light. When things are dark, we can't see what's happening. We can't see where we are. We can't see the way forward. It's a sense of confusion, probably a sense of fear, sense of the unknown. When the light comes on, all of a sudden, all of that goes. It's finished. It's done. And instead, we can see things as they really are. We can see the way forward. All of that fear goes away because we can look around us and see things in the light. And so Paul says, you've been taken out of the kingdom of darkness where you experience all those bad things and instead you've been put into the kingdom of light where you can see things as they are, where you can see the way forward. He then says that we've been rescued, we've been set free, we've been released from all the times that we mess up, all the mistakes that we make. 
And other translations talk about that word set free as redeemed, which is a really powerful word in Paul's time when slavery was a very real thing. Because being redeemed in that culture meant that you could pay money to have a slave redeemed, which means that they were released from captivity and they were now a completely free person. Instead of having to be under someone else's mastership, they could make their own choices, they could do whatever they wanted. And so Paul uses this word redemption as a key understanding of what's happened to us as well. This debt has been paid. We're now completely free. And we'll unpack that more in a second. But just look at the tense that Paul uses for all of these words. He says, we have been rescued. We have been brought safe. We are set free. Our sins have been forgiven. All of these things are past and true now. They're not things that we hope will happen at one point in the future. We hope that we'll be rescued one day. We hope we'll be set free. Paul says, all of this stuff has already happened because of Jesus. And it's not because we got ourselves together enough. It's not because we finally measured up. It's not because we earned it. It's just because God wanted to do that for us. Again, the message translation is super helpful. It says, God rescued us from dead end alleys and dark dungeons. He set us up in the kingdom of the son he loves so much. The son who got us out of the pit we're in, got rid of the sins that were doomed to keep repeating. And so as we start to wrap up today, that's a key image that I want us to be able to hold on to and really dig into. Just imagine for a moment what it's like for someone who is either trapped in slavery, which is still sadly something that happens today, or someone who's trapped in prison. Just put yourself for a moment into the mindset of someone who's in that environment. Someone who's enslaved or someone who's in prison. Imagine the sense of darkness that is experienced. Imagine the sense of hopelessness that's there. Imagine the sense of fear that you have. The feeling of just being completely trapped. There's nowhere for me to turn. There's nowhere for me to go. I'm stuck here and this is it. That's what life is like for me. I'm enslaved. I'm in prison. And now imagine what would happen if someone came to you in that moment of darkness, in your slavery, in your prison cell, and said, I'm here to rescue you. I'm here to set you free. Once and for all, this is finished. It's over. Imagine the sense that you would have. Can this really be happening? Can this really be true? Is this, it's, it's too good to be true. Surely not. But then you're released from slavery The prison door is unlocked and you can walk out. And imagine what that feeling is like as you're able to breathe in the air, as you're able to feel the sun on your face, as you're able to be in a place where you can make your own choices. You're not stuck anymore because of what other people are doing to you. You are completely free. And it's reinforced to you that this isn't, there's no chance someone's going to come to you and say, oh, sorry, there's been a bit of a mistake. You need to go back or you didn't pay off enough of the debt. It's over. It's finished. The ransom's been paid. The bail's been posted. Everything has been done to move you from slavery to freedom, from prison to freedom. And Paul says, and this is the theme that we're going to unpack over the coming weeks, That's what God has done for us. Past tense, done. 
It's finished. We've been set free from all the times that we make mistakes, set free from all the times that we don't love perfectly, all the times that we don't see things the way that they are. All of that we've been set free from completely. So we don't have to live in darkness. We don't have to feel trapped. We don't have to feel stuck anymore. We get to live in the freedom that God has given to us. That is staggeringly good news. And that's what we're going to continue to unpack in the weeks ahead. So as we head into this week, here's a couple of questions for us to be able to reflect on. First question is, where do I feel trapped? Or where am I experiencing darkness in my life? As I sit here this morning, are there areas of my life where I just feel stuck or I feel that sense of darkness or I feel that sense of being imprisoned? Could be mistakes that I've made in the past, times that I've messed up and I feel like that's holding me back. It could be the feeling that I'm never actually good enough, that I can't measure up. doesn't matter how hard I try, I'm just not convinced that God could ever love me as I am. It could be that we're trying to earn God's favour. We feel like we've just got to do more and more and more. And so we're in the place of just feeling frenzy about that. Where are we feeling trapped? Where are we feeling imprisoned? Where are we feeling a sense of darkness as we sit here today? And what does it look like then for us to recognise that's not what God wants for us? God has given us freedom. God has set us free from all of those things. God has taken us from the darkness into the light. That's the truth of where we're at as we then head into this week. So what does it look like for us to be able to explore the freedom that has been given to us, these unrestrained lives that God has given us the privilege of being able to live? What does it look like for me to step out of that prison cell, step out of that slavery and step instead into what God has given me through Jesus. So I'm going to pray that as we head into this week, we can experience that for those of us who need to be reminded that that's the truth of what Jesus has done for us, that we can have that experience for all of us, that we can live in the freedom that's been given to us as we move out. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this incredible good news message that we have the privilege of being able to read about through the pages of Scripture. We thank you for the way that, as Paul expressed it, it took over the world in the early church. That as people discovered the truths that we're unpacking today and that we're going to unpack through the rest of this series, their minds were blown. And millions of people said, why would I want to live any other way? And so your message spread and spread and spread as people understood that it's not about us following a set of rules, it's not about us getting our life together enough, it's not about us following philosophical teaching and hoping that we can somehow reach enlightenment out of that. It's about us recognising that Jesus, you came to set us free, to do everything necessary for us to move out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, to be able to be included in your family permanently, eternally. And so I pray for us that as we sit here today, you would help us to recognise those areas of darkness or imprisonment that we're experiencing. All of us in different ways struggle with different things in our lives. And those things cause fear and anxiety and cause us to struggle and get in the way of your best for us. 
And so I pray that as we head into this week, you would help us to identify those things, to be aware of those areas of our lives where we are feeling trapped and stuck. And that we would be able to take those things and surrender them to you. To recognise that all of this truth has been done for us. Not because we got our act together, not because we're good enough, not because we earned it, but simply because of your passionate love for us, shown to us through Jesus. And so then as we head out and see the world through those eyes, help us to live in the unrestrained freedom that you so desperately want us to live in. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.